this week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we dive into the latest information on the NVMe over fiber channel protocol and how NetApp partners with Brocade for enterprise SAN workloads. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have some special guests from the SAN team as well as from Brocade. So let's start with the Brocade guest. Uh, AJ Casamento is here. So AJ, what do you do at Brocade and how do we reach you? So I'm a uh, principal R&D engineer at Brocade. I work in the solutions architecture team out of engineering. Um, been with the company 23 years and change. So you can reach me at aj.casamento at broadcom.com. Um, uh, Brocade Storage Networking Division is is one of the, the 24 divisions at Broadcom. All right, excellent. We'll get more into the Brocade piece here in a bit. But first, let's talk to our NetApp SAN team. Uh, so with us today, Raj Lalsangi is here today. So Raj, what do you do and how do we reach you? Hey, um, I'm Raj Lalsangi. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, my role here in NetApp is uh, technical director. I'm um, responsible for SAN and networking. And I've been with uh, NetApp for the last uh, 17 years. As a side note, uh, I came to NetApp from Brocade, and uh, some of the code I wrote still runs on those switches. Well, there you go. And Raj, actually, you worked on the very early implementation of SAN in Clustered ONTAP, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And then, uh, as I said, 17 years back, right, I started with uh, writing fiber channel drivers, and uh, then we implemented Clustered Data on Tap with uh, scalable SAN, uh, brought in many data management capabilities into the stack. And here we are um, pushing the edges of the envelope or blazing the trail, as they say, uh, with the NVMe over Fabric. And Raj, how do we reach you? Oh, you can reach me at uh, lalsanji at uh, netapp.com. All right. And last but not least, uh, our SAN TME, the FLI guy himself, Michael Peppers, is here. Mike, what do you do at NetApp? Of course, you know, we kind of already knew that since I've given it away. And how do we reach you? Hi, Justin. Uh, I'm a senior technical marketing engineer. Uh, I cover all things on tap block. Um, you can reach me at mpeppers at netapp.com or ntapfli guy uh, is my Twitter handle. All right. Excellent. So like I said, we're going to cover uh, a variety of topics here today, including Brocade, and mostly we're going to focus on NVMe. Uh, but what I wanted to start off with was if you're not familiar with Brocade, we have AJ here to tell us what Brocade is and to kind of go into the details of the Brocade and NetApp relationship. Sure, Justin. So Brocade is the, the manufacturer of the fabric interconnect, the fiber channel fabric switches and directors that NetApp has been using <clears throat> in the 20 year partnership now that we've um, that we've had with uh, with our with our NetApp uh, brethren. So I want to I want to be clear about one thing, um, and you, you sort of heard Jake describe this a, a little bit earlier. There's there's more to this. It's it's not just a, a warehousing thing, you know, where where you know NetApp takes product from us and and you know puts it on a skid out to the customer. There's a lot of engineering that goes on um, in these environments and a lot of functional uh, conversations that that go on because. The solution set, um, you know, we're an interconnectivity piece. Yeah, that's that's critical. Obviously, you know, if you want to have 
you know, a large number of servers able to, in a performant fashion, um, talk to the NetApp storage. You know, that's a, you know, that's a key element that that has to be there. But, you know, it's in support of the application base, which is really, you know, the servers talking to the the NetApp ONTAP uh, systems, right, and the and the functionality that exists there. So, there's a a long-standing engineering relationship. There's weekly uh, engineering discussions that that, that go on um, as we as we work through what what those environments look like and how do we best provide functionality to the customers, right? And and keep their environments up and keep them simple simple to run, right? Those are those are key elements, I think, for everybody in the market. So, um, Mike, you mentioned earlier when we were kind of discussing off off the uh, recording that you worked a lot on brocade and support. So, you know, kind of give me an idea of what your experience with brocade has been. Sure. So I came to NetApp uh, about 15 and a half years ago at this point. I started in support uh, fairly quickly, became a SAN escalation engineer. One of the things uh, that I was responsible for there, uh, along with several other colleagues, is this is I was an escalation point for brocade cases that came in. Uh, so something interesting is, is, is that NetApp resells brocade switches as part of overall storage solutions. And part of that, that resale is, is, is that we take first and second level support for those switches. So if you bought uh, brocade switches as part of a storage configuration, you would call NetApp support not only for the storage, but also for those, those switches. Uh, we would work on those problems and in very rare cases where we needed to escalate to CPR at Brocade uh, or uh, needed uh, things like uh, uh, traces of uh, outputs, those would be sometimes, those would be some cases where we would actually escalate back to Brocade. Otherwise, uh, about 85 or 90% of the time, we tended to solve the, the cases on our own. Uh, after that, uh, I went through engineering and ultimately came back out uh, in as a TME. And as a TME, I've been working with Brocade uh, fairly uh, closely because we do a lot of uh, cross uh, and, and partner marketing of uh, SAN solutions, particularly you know as they relate to block and fiber channel. Uh, we've written a number of NetApp verified architectures, for instance, around uh, quite a bit of experience. If I could just add one uh, one comment in there, Mike, I, I think one of the things that you guys do that's that's pretty interesting is the the uh, integration with the call home uh, environment. And so there there are instances where NetApp is actually the one calling the customer and telling the customer that you know they've got a solution to an issue the customer hasn't even recognized yet, which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, and 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 in some cases, uh, some of that. that some of the stuff that we're getting call home or auto supports about actually are uh, switch issues that we're getting uh, from Brocade SAN Nav, which is one of the management packages that you would use to manage a Brocade fabric. So were you responsible for wheeling out the Finisar and hooking it up? Uh, I did that in my uh, middle role when I was working in Interop and QA, uh, but not specifically for... Uh, uh, brocade cases. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, it sounds like we've got a long standing relationship with brocade and we've done a lot of work with them. And one of those things includes NVMe. Uh, so let's talk about what NVMe is as a protocol and how it differs from SCSI as a protocol. Yeah. So, uh, please AJ and, uh, Mike, um, as it's necessary, please add on to my comments here. Yeah, SCSI started around uh, 
40 years back now, and it has served the industry very well. NVMe is a brand new modern version of block protocol. It is similar to SCSI in that sense. It's a block protocol, but it's way different than SCSI in many factors. It is highly performant uh, in terms that uh, it allows multiple conversations happen over multiple queues in parallel so that you can use the cores efficiently on the host as well as on the storage end. And it's also lean and mean to make sure that we can extract more IOPS from the modern storage media, such as Flash and SEM. So it basically, it's a SCSI protocol. Uh, basically, it's a block protocol, but a modern version of the block protocol, which can extract value out of uh, multiple cores in the CPUs, as well as uh, um, IOPS from the faster media, such as Flash and SEM. So one way I like to characterize it is, is since I like to think of NVMe as uh, what we would have written instead of SCSI if we had done it after having 40 years of additional computer science knowledge. Um, we basically learned a lot in that period of time. Uh, so we did things like slim down the command set, uh, massively parallelize operations, uh, remove software locking, uh, reduce context switching all of which uh, in the service of uh, increasing performance, increasing throughput, reducing latency. Um, and it all shows up. Um, you, you have tremendous uh, performance gains going from FC to NVMe FC because you have a so much more efficient protocol, even though you're actually using the same wire. Yeah, to stress the point there, Michael, I think um, our performance on the same wire FC uh, compared to SCSI, our performance out of the gate in the first release itself was something like 40 to 50% more than uh, SCSI protocol. Mm -hmm. That kind of speaks to the points that uh, Mike was referring to earlier in terms of parallelism, in terms of uh, efficiency, such as no context switches, no locks in the data path. So it's a combination of factors. It's uh, the protocol which enables to uh, which enables the software to implement um, the stack in that fashion. Also, the parallel resources available in the hardware. Yeah, I think it's um, <clears throat> it's also good to sort of keep in keep in mind that small computer system interconnect, right, was designed for more than more than just storage, right. So it's a pretty a pretty chatty protocol as well, SCSI. Um, and I think one of the interesting things for me has been. Um, you guys were so far ahead of the, the, the curve um, in the NVMe effort um, and operating system support um, is slowly catching up, right? So, so there's the, the sort of the other end of the, of the, of the network connectivity for us today that, 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 you know, we're talking to a variety of operating systems, some of which have better native NVMe support um, than others, not to, not to poke at windows too hard, right? But they're, they're still doing a SCSI translation back, right? So, um, you know, there's there's still there's still territory to to to, to gain on here. I think um, as well. Yeah, that was actually sort of an interesting uh, piece of the uh, NVMe uh, journey. Uh, we and NetApp and Brocade uh, partnered to bring out uh, NVMe FC. Uh, we introduced it in ONTAP 9.4. 
Um, and we spent a considerable amount of time waiting for initiators. So uh, you essentially had two thirds of the solution you needed. You were missing the server operating system that was actually going to communicate with storage over the fabric. Um, you had some, but not other uh, OSs. And so some of the, uh, the initial slowness of uh, uptake was the fact that people were waiting for their very favorite OS or, uh, you know, OSs to actually uh, support NVMEFC. Yeah, I think you guys pretty much took took everybody by surprise because while there had been technology demonstrations of NVMe over fabrics, um, you were the first, and NetApp was was the first um, folks out there to run a live environment of, of uh, NVMe over fiber channel fabric, you know, um, in, in, in public, right. And, and to come out with support for it. And I think that that really kind of woke up some of the software guys, uh, honestly, Mike, you know, and, 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 you know, I'm sure Jay's probably run into this as well. Right. But, but, you know, the operating system guys all of a sudden woke up to the idea that, Hey, uh, this is not just a science project. There's, 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 you know, an actual direction here. Well, you know, it's a pretty amazing thing when you basically are able to keep every piece of your configuration exactly the same, your IO workloads exactly the same. The only thing you're changing is the protocol you're using to communicate between the initiator and target. You change that and you immediately see a 40, 50, 60% increase in uh, throughput, in number of IOPS as well as a reduction in latency at the same time. I mean, it's just basically, it's all good news. And it at that point, you were almost screaming that you need to come here because you, you're you getting so much bang for your buck and you're doing so little to actually get it. Yeah, that's what we call it, uh, introducing disruptive technology non-disruptively, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that, Rob. That's a that's a good. I'm going to steal that line, by the way. <laughs> so uh, that, that's the reason why we chose NVMe or FC as a first transport to be implemented for NVMe protocol. See, the protocol itself is new. The way we implement the stack is new, but we didn't want to introduce another variable into the equation by requiring the fabric part to change along with it. So we said that. Okay, keep the fabric same, use the fabric services, everything that fabric has to offer, uh, wiring, everything, no upgrade issues, but not. But only change the software, as Mike was referring earlier. Then, voila, you get a bump in your performance. And that is not incremental bump in the performance. This is a staggering increase. Um, today, we cross about a million IOPS per controller. And compared to FC, over or a SCSI over FC, uh, the original thing, we are operating nearly about 50 to 60% more. Mm -hmm. So all that you have to do is upgrade the software, keep everything same, upgrade the software, then you get this benefit. And I think, you know, Raj, that's one of the things that surprises an awful lot of people. That last statement you just made is, is people think, oh, what, what, you know, what, what's the recipe look like? What do I have to change? What do I have to buy? And I, you know, I think it shocks them that, that NetApp's been selling all of the components for this for, you know, five plus years, right? So the, the Gen 6 HBAs for the servers and, and, and have been out there that long. And the, you know, the, the fiber channel switches have been out there that long. And, you know, literally, um, once the operating system's picked up, uh, it's, it's 
it's been, you know, it's just flat simple for people to, to begin to, to play with it. Mm-hmm. So, so to use a highway analogy, I guess it'd be like using the same roads, but reducing the number of cars and putting faster cars out there. Yes. Very similar. Yeah. Or maybe even fa- uh, self-driving cars so that you can space them more closely together and therefore fit more cars in a smaller amount of space. And have more passengers in the car. Yeah. If you look at the ONTAP um, support and then the, the, as VMware finally came out with their native, native releases, literally you can do a live storage of emotion off of a, a data store that's sitting in a SCSI LUN in, in, in the NetApp platform um, to um, a, the, a mirror of that data store sitting in interview mean namespace ID, which is the, the logical equivalent of a LUN in SCSI. And okay, yeah, you'll see the little dip in 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 I/O that every live storage remotion goes through as you're as you're moving the data store pointer. But but then you see the increase that that Raj was just talking about, right? And you didn't take a service window for the application, and you and to Mike's point, you know, we didn't touch a cable, right? I mean, show me that in any other technology. That's brilliant. It even gets better, AJ. So we offer. In ONTAP side, the way we implemented uh, NVMe namespaces is that we use a common data structure called VDisk between SCSI LUNs and uh, NVMe namespaces. What that enables is, without any copy, by just switching the metadata that says it's a LUN of certain kind and, and certain uh, unique ID, and flip that to saying that now this has become a namespace and with certain other ID and export it through a different protocol stack, it enables us to provide you a zero copy transition from SAN to NVMe. So why it remains the same, as you were saying? Applications don't change. They continue to access the same data. With but the only thing that is changing is NVMe protocol in between giving more performance to the application. It's a very easy transition story. Very, so, very easy and efficient transition story. You don't have to spend, uh, you don't have to copy by which uh, you probably would have to spend 2x the storage because if you have to copy a gig of data from your old thing, you have to have additional one gig of storage. Uh, you might want to decide to take out the original copy to reclaim the storage, but you still have to have 2x the storage to enable the transition. We eliminate that requirement. That's brilliant. So I actually wanted to channel Steve Jobs and say, but wait, there's more. Uh, (laughs) The other uh, really big benefit uh, to NVMe FC and FC is, is that they use exactly the same components. And so you can concurrently connect to uh, both NVMe FC and FC using exactly the same HBA port, cable, switch port on both sides, all the way through to uh, port on storage. And so the beauty of that is, is, is that you can dip your toe into, your, into the NVMe water without actually changing anything. Unlike in a situation like, for instance, if you wanted to move from fiber channel to iSCSI, at some point, you're going from a fiber channel switch to an Ethernet switch. And so you have whole different equipment, different wires, and so on. In this case, it is all exactly the same, and you can use them concurrently. 
know, you can mix and match. Your, your server could be running 20 runs and 20 namespaces at the same time over exactly the same year. There's no big bang. There's no need to switch, you know, from one to another. There's no disruption there. And I think, you know, one of the things that Raj pointed out uh, as well there, Mike, is, is um, you know, this is so well architected on the, on the ONTAP platform that it doesn't call for a service window from the application guy. And that's one of the hard negotiations everybody has, right? And then which application do I move first? And what you guys are describing, you know, if I, if I can say is, you know, the ability to, to, you know, try migrating an application over, you know, which applications are you going to get the best bang for the buck out of, you know, who do you, who do you move first? Um, highest IOP, most critical, um, you know, the frequent caller, right? The guy that's memorized the, uh, the storage admins, um, mobile phone number, right? You know, you know, take your, take your pick, but you've, you've just made it, you know, so straightforward to do with, you know, virtually no risk at all, right? I mean, you, you, to, to, to Raj's point, it's the same data set on the back end. You're simply changing the metadata address on, on, on the front. That's, and, and as you say, you know, we don't, we don't touch the actual physical infrastructure. It's all, it's already there. Just a matter of running the right software, right version of on tap, the right version of operating system in the switches and the right driver on the, on the servers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you kind of paraphrase Steve Jobs a little while ago and I, we're, we're making this all seem very sunshine and rainbowy and puppies. So I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase Steve Jobs a bit too. What is the, you're holding it wrong scenario, right? <laughs> when, when do we have a situation where we don't want to use MVME? Is there any sort of you know, scenario where that is, is applicable or is it always, Hey, you need to go to MVME because FC is a thing of the past. SCSI rather. Yeah. 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 I don't think that you can say that SCSI based protocols like FC or iSCSI are things of the past. I think that over time you are likely to, see the industry move from fiber channel protocol, most likely to NVMe FC, for the simple reason that the performance is the, the efficiency of the protocol and therefore the performance gains you get from switching protocols and doing nothing else are so drastic that it is very difficult to argue against that. Um, that said, whenever you have a nascent protocol, uh, when you're at the bleeding edge of innovation, you're going to have gaps in your ecosystem that you would not have with a uh, mature environment, you know, where you have all of these uh, uh, application pieces that have been, you know, essentially put together and have been flying in formation for 20 or in some cases, uh, you know, 15, 20, sometimes, you know, maybe even a little bit longer uh, number of years. I think, you know, one of the conversations that I have with with customers a lot is, I don't think there's one single scenario that fits every every use case, right? So it, be, it becomes more of a conversation around, hey, let's let's talk about your environment, let's talk about your application base, let's talk about the workloads that you've got, high op, low latency, deterministic, you know, lossless kind of application environments. You know, I think I think that both Raj and Mike have made some good points that 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 will tend to gravitate because there's no good reason not to um, into the NVMe space. Um, and the, the the biggest challenge will be when does when does the price point get to get to a stage where your budget will will uh, take it and and which is you know it's it's not it's not the kind of premium that most people think it is really um, it's it's actually much more palatable than I think people people imagine um, and then the other the other side of it is you know just timing right how how rapidly can they move across and you know what you hear these guys describing finding a window to do this is is pretty easy because 
there's no disruption to the running environment. And to, to Raj's point, there's no time to, you don't even have to take time to copy it, right? You're just, you're just altering the pointers on the front end. Yeah, I think that the, the main thing that is slowing uh, uh, adoption at this point, or it, I don't know if slowing is necessarily the right word, but the reason why everyone hasn't just moved over and, uh, you know, uh, uh, wholehandedly uh, adopted NVMe FC is, is, is that as a storage admin who enjoys being employed, one of the things that you're generally going to want to do is, is do a lot of testing before you put anything into production. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 if you want to take something brand new, not really test it and throw it into production, you know, well, I, I congratulate your courage, although I uh, question your wisdom. Yeah, fair enough. I think, um, you know, one of the one of the funny things that happens, and, and I'm sure you guys see this all, all the time, but it's one of the reasons why we go through the levels of testing and qualification jointly um, that we go through is um, a scenario that I used to describe to CIOs when they would say, well, you know, the network doesn't really matter. And it's like, oh, really? Okay. So, you know, you got the really nice machine on your desk there, whether it's a, a laptop or a desktop machine. So I'm going to take away one of two components from you, right? I'm going to take away either your network connectivity or your C drive, you pick. And oddly enough, I've never had anybody pick the C drive. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about storage, you know, storage networking, you know, that's the equivalent of taking away the C drive. Right? And and data outages, you know, storage outages are a whole different animal, and so your your point's well taken, right? People people are careful about that, and with good reason. Well, you know, so 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 part of the uh, of your testing effort is just to get familiar with and build your own confidence and skill set with this protocol. It's not simply to see is it a fit for this particular workflow, for instance, and and then putting together uh, proof of concept internally, uh, you know, in your test environment and so on. But it's also just to figure out what your new procedures are going to be. What do you want to move over there and how are you going to manage it once you do? And, and you know, that's basically just, that's human capital. That's, that's, that's learning. That's not seeing whether this protocol will do, you know, uh, you know whether it will jump over tall buildings, uh, or divide by zero or, you know, other feats of magic. Yeah, fair enough. So talk to me a little bit about the differences in storage failovers when you're dealing with something like SCSI commands versus NVMe namespaces. Like how does all that all work, Mike? So uh, that is one place where NVMe is different from the uh, SCSI protocols. So with SCSI protocol, so fiber channel and iSCSI, um, on AFF or Unified, uh, we are going to advertise, by default, we're going to advertise paths to the HA pair that owns a given LUN. The node that actually owns the LUN, the paths that go directly to that node are going to be active optimized. In other words, they are your preferred paths. These are the ones you want to use. The other paths that go to the HA partner of that, uh, of the owning node, are going to advertise paths as active and non-optimized. The keyword there is active. That means that the path is a usable path. It is active. If you send IO down that path, you will receive a response. However, non-optimized means not preferred. We're going to give that information to a host MPIO stack. The host MPIO stack is going to look at that and is going to build a map of how do I get to that LUN and it is going to use the two active optimized paths and not use the active non-optimized paths. 
so that is, in general, how uh, the SCSI protocols are going to work. Um, they, they use ALUA to advertise that past state information. NVMe, on the other hand, uses uh, ANA, uh, which is similar to ALUA and also uh, advertises past state information. Uh, but it advertises a little bit differently in the sense that initially, until ONTAP 9.91, uh, we did not support remote I.O. So you basically would advertise paths to the node that owns the NVMe namespace. Those paths would be active and paths to the node, that HA partner node, would be advertised as inactive. Notice that is not active. And so therefore, I have two paths I can actually use to get to that namespace, and the other two paths I cannot use until a failover has actually occurred. In ONTAP 991, we actually added remote I.O. support, which allowed us to revert to an active optimized, active non-optimized, so it looks more like the way SCSI protocols work. So that's AFF. That, I'm, I'm doing this a long way around to get to ASA, because in ASA, uh, we basically created a... Uh, uh, AFF personality that is symmetric active-active. So instead of advertising active-optimized and active-non-optimized paths to your fiber channel and iSCSI LUNs, we advertise all four paths from both HA pairs as active and optimized. So your host is going to use all four of those paths. However, with NVMe, because of the way that it manages remote versus local uh, I.O., there is a much stronger preference for local uh, I.O. in the case of NVMe. And so even with ASA, where we would be symmetric, active-active with SCSI protocols, we're symmetric. Uh, we are asymmetric, active-active with uh, the uh, NVMe protocols. And so it's going to look like active-optimized, active-non-optimized, the way it would for SCSI protocols in AFF. Is that confusing enough? Absolutely. So. Talk to me a little bit about failover times. Like, is it about the same for NVMe versus SCSI? Um, it, it the failover times. I think that the, the biggest uh, determinant of failover time is actually going to be what is the host uh, uh, OS that you're using. That's probably going to have more to do with it than uh, which protocol, whether it is uh, SCSI or uh, NVMe based protocol. Uh, otherwise, uh, the times are going to be similar. Uh, between the two of them. So you mentioned, um, you know, the performance benefits and there's a lot of, there's a lot to like there. So what sort of applications are you seeing that are moving towards the NVMe uh, protocol? Well, the, so the, the main benefit or one of the big benefits you're going to get from NVMe, uh, well, you're, you're going to see benefits on potentially three different accesses. Throughput, reduction in latency, and potentially reduction in host CPU utilization. So the first two are pretty obvious as to what they are. Throughput means that I can basically throw more uh, IO down a pipe in a certain amount of time. And so obviously I can get more work done in the same amount of time. Latency is, is I hit a button saying, you know, turning something on, how quickly before I get back a response. Uh, the more quickly I get it back, the less latency I have. And that's a benefit that you're going to have with NVMe FC is, is you're reducing that latency while increasing the throughput. The third one's slightly different and uh, not quite as well uh, understood or known, and that is host CPU utilization. If I reduce host CPU utilization, let's say I have a server farm with 200 servers in it, 
that are running some sort of uh, workload, and I'm able to reduce that host CPU utilization by 10%. That means that I could do exactly the same amount of work, but with 180 servers instead of 200, which means that I can reduce my costs for cooling, electricity, administration, procurement of hardware, and potentially software licensing, among others, uh, simply by changing protocols. Now, that's something you probably weren't considering when you were thinking about changing protocol. Well, I think it, it begs the question, right? What did, because it's an, it's an extremely valid point, Mike. What did you buy the server to do? Did mm-hmm. you buy the server to run a protocol stack or did you buy the server to, to run an application, right? And so, you know, everything that we can do to lighten, to lighten that load. And also, I think, you know, I would, I would argue to, to not be the choke point, right? So certainly from our standpoint in the, in the fabric, um, you know, when I look at the performance that you guys put into your arrays and, and you know, like the 800 series being, being you know, native NVMe all, all the way, right? You know, we don't want to be the choke point. And now servers, when we talk about um, Intel Ice Lake servers or Whitley or the AMD Milan platforms moving to PCIe Gen 4, which is effectively, you know, 64 gig at, at the card level, you know, we don't want to be the narrow point. We don't want to be the, we don't want to be the choke point in that, in, in that throughput either, because some of that's not just, some of it's bandwidth. Some of it, as you point out, is, is, is latency uh, driven as well. But then there's the, what's, what's the overhead? Cause protocols do matter. What's, what's the overhead used to run the IO and how much of that can be freed up for like in-memory um, databases, right? That you, that you would like to run. And if, and if, if maybe the, the debate database is too big for the memory. Can I have the fastest storage possible right outside so I can I can snapshot it and do um, analytics on it, you know, things of that nature on a different platform than the production database, as an example. Yeah, see, in a way, I, I kind of look at it. You, you asked the question, you know, what did you buy the server for? And, you know, it, 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 I feel sort of quixotic about it in that, uh, I don't know, being a, a sand guy, I'm basically a plumber. So, you know, I actually like the protocols and the speeds and feeds and, you know, all of those sort of details. But at the end of the day, it's plumbing. Uh, the reason why an organization is going to buy a server, a fabric, storage, any of that is because they want to be able to run an application uh, efficiently. That's that's the whole reason. Otherwise, they would not spend the money on it. They're not doing it because uh, it's cool to have a really big data center with lots of uh, you know, cool servers and storage and networking gear and cabling in it. Agree. The, the the number of customers that want to be the first kid on their block just just to be able to show off the new technology is is you know pretty much gone. That 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 scenario. People do it because there's a, a functional business purpose to it. Yeah, exactly. So if I want to go from SCSI to NVMe protocols, is it? always going to be a copy-based thing or is there like an in-place transition that we can do or you know how do i get from point a to point b so always is a long time right now uh the way you get from point a to point b is going to be a host-based copy however uh it is in plan that we are going to have a we're going to uh develop and offer a uh a conversion utility that will basically do an in-place conversion. So you're not doing, you're not moving any data. You're just changing the metadata around the data, so that instead of this now being a SCSI run, it is now an NVMe namespace. 
And our namespace is stored the same in ONTAP. I know with LUNs, they look like files, but they have you know special LUN things that tell them they're LUNs. Is a namespace pretty much the same concept there? Yes, yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah, as I was uh, referring earlier, uh, we have the same data structure that supports both LUNs and uh, namespaces. All that is differing is metadata that identifies, hey, this data structure or file refers to a LUN, while this file refers to a namespace. Um, eventually, it's a file in Waffle, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, I, you know, I know that we have some single LUN performance improvements in ONTAP 9.9.1. Does that extend out to the NVMe namespaces then, since they're you know similar data structures, or is that completely different? Uh, those improvements are for LUN. Uh, a lot of the improvement or the, the the speed gains that you would have gotten, you pretty much are already seeing with uh, NVMe FC. Uh, it, it, Going back to the very beginning of, you know, why was NVMe written to begin with, a principal driver for writing NVMe and then later enhancing that with NVMe-OF is this is uh, basically industry realized that uh, with the advent of Flash, uh, the disk stopped being the bottleneck. And so the bottleneck shifted and part of that shift was to basically the command space. So what protocol are you using to actually transport those commands? And SCSI actually ended up being part of that bottleneck. So there was a rewrite NVMe and the parallelization, all of the stuff that we talked about earlier uh, was largely in response to that in order to remove the, the, the commands and transport from being the bottleneck and shifting it elsewhere. You know, whenever you remove a bottleneck, you immediately discover what your next bottleneck is. And you're basically, you know, if you have a career in IT, uh, you know, at least on the management and admin side, it's mostly about feeling onion, trying to find where the next bottleneck is, figuring out how to get past that and then doing it again and again, you know, and iterating that process. It's like, it's like widening the, the highway, right? You know, you find the next, the next narrow point in the highway. And, and Raj, I'll ask you to correct me on the, or Mike, correct me on this if I get it too far off. But, you know, one of the, one of the advantages that I see in this parallelism that, that's, that's being described is um, the ability to, to basically virtually um, in software assign resources to an application or to, you know, to whether it's a, a virtual machine or, or a standalone application where, <clears throat> you can assign core or cores. You can assign a memory range and main system memory, right? So you've got a memory allocation that's assigned to it. And now an NVMe IO profile, right? Where you've got its own queue um, specific to this, to this application out to an NVMe name across the fabric to an NVMe namespace ID in the ONTAP platform, which is an, an, you know, an owned, if you will, think of it that way, um, you know, uh, storage element. And you've effectively given the application owner back the server that he had in 1995, where where they were they were the owner of everything, right? They you know they they owned the OS, they owned the, the server platform, they owned the tuning for you know for the I/O, they owned the updates for the application and everything, right? And and now you've you've effectively handed them back that, but in a composable infrastructure that's that's fabric wide, which I. I think is you know pretty pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty apt uh, analogy, AJ. Uh, what essentially you're summarizing is um, you can virtually carve out a device in a fabric and a device on the other end, a device on the host end, 
the fabric and the um, storage side resources, you can virtually carve out and still maintain the parallelism across the stack is the key feature of NVMe or Fabric. And uh, how it translates through the Fabric, you know, we can uh, talk through brocade technologies such as channels, et cetera. We can extend uh, the queuing paradigm all the way through um, the Fabric to the storage. You know, one cool thing, Jay, that, that, I, that I don't want to um, lose out on too is something that, that NetApp, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of fun, right, be talk, talking with you guys because NetApp's been, you know, such a number of firsts in this, in this space, right, including the first for the NVMe over Fiber Channel Fabric, um, but also the first to support VMID tagging um, in on top, right? Um, so the, the, only, the only array right now that, that, that supports this ability to, to, to tag an I.O. flow all the way to the virtual machine not not just to the to the to the data store right that's that's a you know a pretty significant um, win as well yeah i've talked to a lot of virtualization teams and and when talking about the mid uh, uh when when you're actually you know when people are actually on camera you'll see them all of a sudden stop checking email and you know sort of perk up a little bit what's going on here uh because it, as AJ said the mid basically changes what you are able to track and at 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 one level of granularity. So if you take a typical virtualized environment on VMware, you're going to have a data store, uh, which is going to be shared by some number of VMs, and that data store in turn is going to be backed by uh, uh, LUN, perhaps an iSCSI or Fiber Channel LUN. Uh, so in a traditional, you know, accepting MV, uh, VMID, that means that I can basically track uh, I/O for that data store, and therefore, if there are 50 VMs using that data store, I can, I know that it's one of those 50, or more than one of those 50 that are, you know, that are actually responsible for the I/O that I'm seeing. With VMID, uh, what happens is, 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 is that you're actually tacking each VM with a unique ID that is actually added to uh, the fiber channel header, so that you're able to track. Uh, at the granularity of the VM itself, as opposed to only at the granularity of the data store. And that actually is a potential game changer in several senses. Uh, two that immediately come to mind is, is, is that you have the possibility of uh, very uh, quickly reducing your, uh, essentially your problem domain when you're doing troubleshooting. Because if I know that it is VM3 that I'm interested in, I don't have to focus any time on any of the other VMs. The other thing is, is, is that if I can track a VM end to end through the fabric and back again, what that means is, is among other things, I could do things like include QoS so that I can either protect that VM from other uh, VMs uh, encroaching on its resources or in turn stop it from bullying other VMs. And so both of those are, you know, two immediate wins that are potentially enabled by VMID. Yeah, agreed. I think uh, as well, you know, from a planning standpoint, you know, you you bring up a very valid point about about trying to figure out which of the fifty. You know, I I, I liken it to walk, walking into a room full of six year olds and ask of, of screaming, struggling six year olds and asking who stole whose toy first, right? You know, and, you know, if you if you don't have any track record on it, how do you know what what happened and where and where things went? And so that you know, that's sort of sort of one side of it, but the other side is planning, right? You know, if, if you can have IO profiles for your applications all the way to the virtual machine level, you can figure out, hey, which which uh, VMs can I reasonably stack for long periods of time and they'll get along just fine with each other, right? Mm -hmm. 
opposed to the, you know, you guys, you guys early on, I think coined the, coined the phrase or the discussion. Uh, maybe I just heard it from you first of, of, you know, who's the bully and who's the victim, right? You know, mm-hmm. how do you figure it out? Yeah, absolutely. I, it just, it, it, it enables a lot of things. It, it, it has the potential to reduce the workload, uh, the troubleshooting, and also allow you to better protect uh, workloads from each other when you have shared resources. I mean, it's just a win all the way around. I've had and, this it, also incredibly lightweight. Yeah, and I've, I've had vCenter admins basically describe to me that that they struggle with uh, a lot of applications in their world have their own performance tools. Mm-hmm. That the vCenter admins don't necessarily trust the output of those performance tools, but they lack um, actual granular data to to argue it right. And so that so the VMID piece that you guys are supporting is something that that actually you know makes them happy. And 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 by the way, keep in mind when you lack that granular data, your fallback is <laughs> your best you can with the best guess you can come up with. But keep in mind, it is a guess. It's funny, you know, because um, it, I've, I've talked to a number of vCenter admins who, who basically have acknowledged and, you, you know, they kind of chuckle about it, but they all pretty much admit they do it, that whoever complains is the one they be motion. Sure. In, in, the, in the hope that they, that they either move the bully away from the victim or the victim away from the bully, but the guy doesn't call back 40% of the time, the guy doesn't call back, you know, so, so it kind of, it's, it's, it's the, the functional equivalent of how you rebooted your PC. 40% hey. of the time it works all the time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, in previous lives as both system uh, admin and network admin, uh, it, it, and this works outside of IT as well. Uh, you typically deal with whoever you know the squeaky wheel is. You know we've t- we're talking about VMware and and virtualization administrators. What about the actual management plane here? Like, how are we provisioning these MVME namespaces? What's what's the general you know procedure there? So the most common approaches are going to be that you would use either CLI or System Manager. Uh, you could potentially uh, use REST API or Ansible if you wanted to automate those processes. And so it's going to work pretty similarly and using very much the same uh, tool sets that you would use for creating fiber channel or iSCSI LUNs and you know the associated objects. What about REST APIs? Do you see any customers leveraging that for automation? You're starting to see a little bit of it. Uh, so one of the things that is that I, I've been calling out about uh, System Manager, even though it's not specifically a SAN feature, is, is if you look at System Manager on ONTAP 9.1, uh, most of the workflows that you have in System Manager, there is a little check mark if you go under more options, I believe it is, where you can select create an Ansible uh, uh, YAML file. And so if you do the workflow to uh, create some new runs or new namespace or something or uh, a new volume, any of those sorts of things, you can click that. And once you've actually filled in uh, your variables and hit submit, uh, you will get that namespace or run or whatever it is that you asked for. But you'll also get a YAML file, which you can take. And so long as you adjust the variables, you could then you've essentially just automated without knowing anything really about automation. You know, I know everybody likes to not be the first ones on the boat, right? So we've talked a lot about how there's benefits to go into NVMe. Do we have customers out there using it today? And if so, what are some of those stories? 
Uh, we do have customers using it today. Uh, the ones that are uh, where we've seen adoption the most rapid, uh, probably uh, financial uh, services, for instance. You know, it, pretty much the, the sectors that you would think about. Uh, people who are going to be most interested and most aggressive going to NVMe uh, OF protocols and especially NVMe FC would be uh, where your one of your primary considerations is performance. Can I make it as, uh, can I reduce latency as much as possible? Can I increase throughput as much as possible? Raj said, uh, you know, early on when we were first just discussing what is NVMe and, you know, sort of defining terms, uh, talked about some of the performance gains. And so some of the initial performance gains in ONTAP 9.4 uh, and then again 9.5, we started writing uh, NetApp verified architectures where we would take uh, popular applications, you know, popular solutions, uh, create a reference architecture for those, and then actually test those under load on a uh, test bed and first test using FC and then run exactly the same uh, configuration, changing nothing at all except for the transport protocol itself from FC to NVMe FC and then compare the differences. We've written uh, these for a number of uh, popular uh, applications, things like Oracle and SAP HANA, uh, MongoDB. Uh, one that we wrote recently was for uh, VMware. Uh, this is NBA 1145, and in that case, it was not a 50% increase in throughput as great as that is. It was a 250% increase in throughput, 250, and you got that at a cost of 30% less latency. It, you know, it, it's, where's the bad news there? <laughs> Sorry, that one just struck me funny, Mike. But it's true. It's it's like how do you how do you tell any application owner no, you don't want to do this? Yeah, and that's you know, kind of what I was hinting at earlier. You know, this all sounds really great, and I was just trying to kind of figure out what was uh, the potential pitfalls. But you know, it's, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot there. It it the the biggest pitfall at this point is this is uh, you're developing comfort that that this is a solution for you and that you ha are comfortable with uh, managing it. And okay. I, it, you know, you, we're seeing adoption, it is accelerating and it will continue to accelerate. And over time, NVMe FC is likely to replace FC because it is just simply a better way to do it. Yeah, and I, and I think the NetApp verified architectures helped out a lot, right? Because it gives customers, you know, the, the, uh, one of the recent ones you did was for Epic mm -hmm. you know, systems and, you know, it, it, the, we we depend so much on the performance of these of, of these of these platforms, you know that that I think um, when people look at that, when there's a when there's a, a verified architecture that that NetApp's standing behind, saying yeah, this this works, this is what you can do with it, um, you know those are those are things that I think really help the adoption rate too. Well, so there's that. Then the other thing I. I one of the other things I've heard talking to a lot of different customers is, is, is you know, it, it, the performance gains are pretty awesome, but honestly, you already are more performant than we really need, which, you know, that's, that's nice to hear. But my answer to that is, is, is that, you know, it used to be that you would replace your storage array every three years. Now it's probably more like uh, four, five, possibly six. Well, when you size that storage array, uh, you presumably size it properly so that first uh, two, three, four years, 
it probably was sufficient. And even with unexpected growth that was, you know, maybe faster than you thought, you're probably fine. But you might be pinched in that fourth, fifth, or sixth year. Well, with NVMe, uh, you essentially you have that little orange turbo button that all you know the original IBM PC shipped with. All you have to do is just mash that in, and now you've got that extra 250% throughput or that reduction in latency. And so you basically have lots of latent uh, performance capacity that is just waiting to be used if needed. And so now you don't have uh, platform limitations that are forcing you to actually replace the platform before you are, you've financially amortized it and we're actually planning and ready to do so. And so if nothing else, it is future-proofing. If we wanted to find more information, Mike, where would we find that? So more information uh, about NVMe protocols, you can go to uh, www.netapp.com itself. Uh, we have uh, something there. We also uh, have a TR, TR4684, that basically covers uh, implementing and configuring NVMe uh, FC currently with ONTAP. And so those would be a couple of good places to start. And AJ, anything from the Brocade side? Yeah, if you go to, to um, the, the, the broadcom.com, right, um, and, and then to Brocade, um, you'll find uh, documentation around um, our environments, some of the benchmarking that's been done around, around, uh, NVMe, some of the, some of the, you know, sort of, um, support elements that, that, that we, uh, that we see around it. Um, so, and, and pretty much kind of our version of the, here's, here's the things in, in our world that, you know, already support non-volatile memory express over fiber channel. All right. Excellent. So thanks so much for joining us today and talking to us about Brocade and NetApp. Uh, AJ, again, if we wanted to reach you, how did we do that? So again, that's aj.casamento at broadcom.com. And Raj. Uh, Balsangi at netapp.com. All right. And Mike. Mpeppers at netapp.com or NTAP uh, FLI guy uh, is a Twitter handle if you want to use Twitter instead. All right, excellent. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank AJ Casamento of Brocade, Mike Peppers, and Raj Leslongi for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.